Welcome to the Woman Warriors Podcast, where we're working to help you call a truce with your anxiety. The information in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Now, here's your host, Elizabeth Cush, LCPC. Welcome back to the Woman Warriors podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Cush, and today my guest is Lynn Frazier. She is a meditation and yoga teacher in Nova Scotia, Canada. She's my second international guest. Pretty exciting. She's been a guest on Therapy Chat podcast and the Trauma Therapist podcast. She hosts a daily free meditation at 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time that you can find uh, the link to on her website. She's also the author of Friends With Your Mind, and she does individual and group work helping trauma survivors heal. She describes herself as an anchor to support your journey as you begin to live from your own innate wisdom and basic goodness. Lynn and I are going to talk about how trauma can disrupt your connection with your body, with yourself, and how you can reattune to those feelings of connection with yourself and your body. So we are further exploring how to tune into your body and how it can help you heal and tune into that wisdom and intuition that's there. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. If you live in the Annapolis area and are interested in bringing more mindful awareness into your daily life, I am starting groups for women and men if they're interested around mindfulness, bringing mindfulness into your daily life to help you better connect with yourself, better connect with the people in your life and help you feel more grounded and present and able to live your life with a greater sense of ease. So I hope you'll join me. You can reach out through my website, progressioncounseling.com and shoot me an email if you're interested. There's more information there on the website as well. Click on group therapy and there's a link to this springtime group that begins in March. I hope you'll join us. And now on to the episode. Let's get to the interview. Hi, Lynn, and welcome to the Woman Warriors podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Me too. I'm so excited to talk to you. Um, If you don't mind, if you could tell us a little bit about you and the work that you do. Well, the short version, (laughs) (laughs) I'm a meditation teacher. I've been teaching meditation for 25 years in the Himalayan tradition Mm -hmm. and teaching yoga as well. And about 10 years ago, I came across the Living Inquiries uh, with Scott Killaby. He's a mindfulness non-dual teacher. And I have the work that I do with people is primarily around healing trauma. And it uses kind of a synthesis of meditation, yoga, nervous system. Uh, healing the nervous system really is where the meditation and yoga come in. And then the mindfulness inquiry looks at the thoughts that we have and how they're related to the stored trauma in our body, the energy and sensations that usually we're scared of. And then how can we safely be present with those and let them heal? Yeah. You know, this podcast is primarily focused on women who have anxiety and oftentimes 
there is trauma behind that anxiety. And maybe it's not necessarily trauma that they're recognizing as trauma, for for example, emotional neglect, or, you know, maybe they have minimized the trauma, like, oh, I'm fine now, I'm over it. So they may not necessarily see that connection. But are the people that are finding you recognizing that that's where, how, why they're struggling? Most often, no. Mm. Um, often, often people come because they've reached the end of their rope. They can't cope anymore. Often there's panic attacks, high anxiety, um, or life is just not working very well. Oftentimes people have a feeling that they're just really missing out because I think we have a sense that we're suppressing and we're not really, we're not alive as fully as we could be. And a lot of the trauma that I work with and help people with is developmental trauma. So it's things that happen during childhood. Mm-hmm. And the way our brain works is it develops in response to the experiences that we have. And if we've had a you know, persistent feeling of being unsafe, unnoticed, neglected, we develop these beliefs that we're unworthy, we're not lovable, we're not safe. And that has a long term effect on our life, of course. And a lot of that is through the nervous system. So a lot of the work I do is helping people to, to be present with whatever it is that happened in the past in a safe way, so that they can really become friends with that in their own system. So often we uh, we interpret intensity, intense feelings, um, any kind of contracted energy in our body or, or painful energy, we interpret that as, often we interpret it as, as something that's out to get us, something that's not good. Mm-hmm. And really, what people find, and certainly through my own experience, as well as I was healing a lot of my own developmental trauma, is that it's actually just something that needs to be seen and attended to and not turned away from. And as we as we feel safe enough to do that, then it's seen and it's attended to, it's attuned to, and then it's a, we're able to release that and it doesn't it doesn't drive the anxiety anymore. It doesn't drive the the panic attacks or that feeling of I don't really feel alive. Life isn't really as alive and juicy as I know it could be or I sense that it could be. Mm-hmm. Yes, I see that a lot with my own clients. And also, um, what you had mentioned before that sense of unworthiness, or, you know, uh, there's something in me that's not fixable. Right. Fundamentally yeah. wrong. Yeah. 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 Somehow I'm different. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Dr. Gabor Mate is one of the trauma experts that I've learned a lot about Mm -hmm. trauma from, especially developmental trauma. And, you know, Peter Levine and Stephen Porges and Bessel van der Kolk, there's so many people now that understand trauma and how it resides in the body and how it has to be healed through the body. Yeah. So that's an important step that people didn't have access access to that kind of treatment before. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times people now do have even... Uh, psychotherapy, which can be very helpful in terms of understanding our patterns, understanding how we got here, understanding the, the, the system and how it works. It needs to be also healed through the body. And I, I really think it's wonderful how that's just kind of blossoming out into all kinds of, of therapies now. And what I do isn't therapy, it's a guided mindfulness-based inquiry. Mm-hmm. 
very much based in the body and in the energy in the body. And are there particular things, you know, I use a lot of mindfulness um, and bring in the body awareness and I am a therapist and in Mm -hmm. session with clients who have experienced trauma. But I know that, you know, we have to be careful with trauma survivors and mindfulness. So if you, you know, if you feel comfortable sharing a little bit about that, what we need to be attuned to with our clients or with our, the people we work with. You know, I actually have, um, I have a lot of confidence that people who have trauma can heal from it. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons for that is that I know that the, the remedy for trauma is the opposite of what happened originally. And a lot of what happened originally was there was some kind of painful or scary event. Um, We felt powerless, helpless. We disconnected from ourselves in order to survive that moment or that period of time. And so a lot of the the remedy then for, for healing trauma is connection. So it's connection from with ourselves and connection with other people. Mm-hmm. And some of the research out there is really indicating that connection will help to mitigate the effects of trauma. So if someone has, um, if someone is assaulted, for instance, and they have a, a connected person in their life or people in their life, if they have someone to go to, if they have resources, if they don't turn that against themselves, then the effects of the long-term effects of the trauma are much less. Mm. And a lot of the developmental trauma that we work with is that just that feeling of, I don't belong to this family. I don't matter to anybody. Nobody really cares about me. Mm-hmm. And that kind of neglect is something that certainly recognized in the, the ACEs, the adverse childhood experiences. But most people don't give that enough weight when it comes to themselves. And don't really see, I certainly didn't. I had a lot of trauma as a, as a teenager, and I was in a very cold family where everything was great. We had, you know, there was food and security, and nobody was violent. There was no uh, drug addiction or alcohol. There's there's nothing going wrong, except that there was no connection, no emotional connection. Yeah. When things started happening, when I was 12, I was uh, assaulted, sexually assaulted, and I didn't tell anybody I knew that I would be blamed if I did. Mm -hmm. And I just started acting out. Um, There was a lot of public bullying and humiliation that was happening through those years. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't have anyone to turn to. My best friend had just moved away. And I was alone. And when people don't have that feeling that someone has their back, especially a child. I mean, a 12-year-old kid doesn't really have a very good idea of how things work. No. And we tend to internalize it and think there's something wrong with us. And it took years of, of um, it took years just to recognize and acknowledge that that was traumatic and then to heal from there. And I really believe and I really see with myself and with other people, I think that's what we all long for. We long to have a relationship with ourselves that's not shaming-based, that's, you know, we can be kind with ourselves, we can have compassion for ourselves, and a lot of the tools that and practices that we do cultivate that. Yeah, yeah. Well, one thing you had said, there was a quote that I took from your website that to me 
really speaks to so much around the healing of trauma. As you said, we reach a tipping point where we no longer fear our own body and mind. And like, that's so simple, but so profound. I mean, not simple to do, but the concept to me, it's like, to not fear your body and your mind. I mean, that's amazing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's not actually that difficult. Although it's not, <laughs> it, it's simple, but it's not easy, like they say, you know, right, right. One of the things that, um, you know, if I kind of talk about the whole system of how I work with people is I do a lot of education so that people understand the trauma response. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is to you know, take the shame out of our own reactions to things. If we have, um, you know, if we have a freeze response more than a fight response, we're probably going to be, you know, watching Netflix and eating cookies or something, you know? Yep. If someone has more of a flight re- fight response, they're probably going to be lashing out at people. They're going to have more trouble in their relationships. But all of those, everything that's going on is for a reason. And all of the energy that's stored in our body is there because it's stored with, it was stored at a time when we couldn't process it, when we couldn't handle it. And so we put it away and we have associated memories with it. So that's part of what we're scared of is we don't want to experience that feeling of helplessness or powerlessness again. Mm-hmm. So one of the ways that we work with thoughts is we use um, a lot of methods to, to maintain the mindfulness that this is a thought. Mm-hmm. So thoughts are words and pictures. And so we work with listening to words or putting them up like they're on a whiteboard or something. We can see images or colors and shapes and the brain interprets them. So we might put an image into a frame. And so we notice that it's an image that we're looking at. And then we could take our eyes around the outside space. We can notice that and go around a couple of times in each direction in the space around the outside of the image. We could bring two fingers to the forehead and just tap gently on our forehead taking our attention away from the image or the words and into the sound and sensation of the tapping. Mm -hmm. That helps us to remain mindful. So there's things like that. But then with the sensations, we, we might notice, like, how would you describe that sensation? A lot of people have a, like a fist in their belly, a tight, contracted kind of energy there. Mm -hmm. So how would you describe it? Well, some people say it's, it's moving. It's like a black hole. It's going to suck me into it. And there might be an image of that that we could look at, or it might just be more of a sensation. Some energy is right in the center of our body. Some of it pulses out. It feels like it's taking us over. Sometimes you feel like you can't breathe because there's a heaviness in your chest or a blockage in your throat. And so if you get a little bit clinical about that at the beginning and notice, for instance, that actually breath is still getting through, even if there's a contraction in the chest or the throat. And then there's always space around the energy. So if it goes right to the edge of your body or even a little bit out to the out, outside of your body, it doesn't go across the room. It doesn't go into the next country, you know. Mm-hmm. It's limited to in or around your body. And it also has space in time, so it's not permanent. So there's a energy that kind of arises and then it's here for a while. And if we don't welcome it or if we can't attend to it, then it will just be suppressed and it will continue to, it takes so much energy to suppress it. So it continues to drain our energy. But when we're able to find a way to welcome it as what is it that it's here for? You know, one of the questions that I have people look at all the time is, is this energy here to hurt me? Like, is it malicious? 
and people will sense into it and go, well, no, actually, I don't think it is. But almost always when it's intense or painful, people will say, yeah, it's here to hurt me. Mm-hmm. And then when they look and they go, well, actually, maybe not. Well, well, then what is it here for? And literally every single time it's either here to tell me something, it wants to be heard, or it's trying to protect us. Yeah. And so we could get friendly with that. Someone who's trying to protect us, you know, someone who needs to be heard. Yeah, there's a lot more compassion around someone who's trying to protect me or a part of me that's trying to protect me versus someone that wants to hurt me. Isn't there? Yeah. 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 I listened to one of your, I think it was Mindful Inquiry for Anxiety on your website. And two things, you know, so for me, when I'm feeling stressed and anxious, and a lot of my anxiety comes from not being heard, not being believed in my own trauma, there's this tightness in my chest, and it it constricts my throat. And when you suggested like, well, what are the edges of that? Like, where does it stop? And it's funny, because I like I had never even thought about that. Okay, well, like, it is just, you know, it doesn't take up the whole room or my whole body. even. Yeah, it was an interesting perspective. Yeah, I had an experience a few years ago when I was doing an inquiry and I had this pain in my heart area mm-hmm. and I would have called 911. It was so intense. I thought I was having a heart attack, but I was doing an inquiry and I had a feeling it was from that, not, not anything physical. Mm-hmm. And it lasted a couple minutes and there wasn't even a lot of thought with that one. It was just kind of the pure energy of it. And I stayed with it and I just kept breathing and staying with it. And then it dissolved and it's never really come back. And I had this something similar in my back behind the heart center between my shoulder blades. I had x-rays done. I had MRIs done. I thought my spine had disintegrated there. And at one point during, you know, doing the inquiries, it just dissolved. And it was a, it was a contracted energy that was due to trauma. And it's, that's never come back either. So it's amazing what happens in our body. Yes. Well, and you talk about, well, I think you mentioned it just a few minutes ago, too, that tapping can help you sort of stay more present and mindful. And I really haven't talked to anybody on the podcast yet about tapping and how it's helpful. I wondered if you could maybe talk a little bit about that. So there are there is a whole system of, of um, emotional freedom technique, EFT tapping. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't really use that so much it's just a very simple two fingers on the forehead and the reason the reason i I mean i think the the eft the whole system is is wonderful i think it's really good for healing trauma Mm -hmm. it's just the part that i use is just when we tap on our forehead or you can you know if you're in if you're in a meeting or something like that you can't tap on your forehead you could also just kind of lightly tap on your leg or Um, You know, there's a lot of ways that we could do this. You could hold your hand and kind of rub your hand, feel the warmth of your hand. But it's just to bring us back into the body and remind us that when we take our attention away from an image or away from words and we focus our attention on the tapping, it reminds us that it's not happening in the present moment. Mm -hmm. Because that part of our brain or part of our system doesn't really tell time. And it's pretty easy to kind of get back into it and feel like it's happening all over again. So all of these grounding techniques, um, box breathing is another one that that I use sometimes when people get into kind of a really elevated anxious state or getting into a panic attack. So there's a lot of ways to remind ourselves. And, 
you know, my experience with that is that as we do, we, we develop a lot of confidence that we're actually well able to be present with this energy. And that even if it starts to get intense, it's not going to take us over because we're going to remember, oh, that's right. I could do some tapping. I could put it in a frame. I could take my eyes around the outside space a few times. And every single time that someone does that, the image gets less intense. Yeah, and oftentimes yeah. it'll just kind of get fuzzy and it doesn't, it's not scary anymore. Well, and I think the, the whole idea of tuning into and, uh, you know, whether it's befriending or being more compassionate toward these things that feel so scary or feel like they might take over or never end bringing that sort of mindful awareness of like, oh, yeah, I felt this before, or, yeah, this is what it looks like, and can I externalize it really can help it feel so much less scary. Yeah, exactly. And in order to kind of heal the nervous system of the effects of trauma, I think it's really good to have those tools at our fingertips when things are getting escalated. But also to do relaxation practices, breathing practices. I know sometimes people, even breathing can be a little bit too much for someone who's highly traumatized. Um, but there are ways to kind of ease into that. I have some, I have a lot of practices on my YouTube channel. And there's a playlist that doesn't mention the breath, for instance. Oh, interesting. Just relaxing the body. Yeah. And the other thing about, about trauma is that Whatever was happening in the past, especially childhood trauma, we tend to blame ourselves and take the blame on ourselves for a really good reason. If if we were to, I mean, number one, children don't have the kind of brain development to be able to assess a situation and go, okay, my, my father is an alcoholic or, you know, my mother is mentally ill or where, whatever the situation might be. Children can't really analyze that and come up with a, a, an explanation. But the other thing is, is that if we were to say, okay, my mom is depressed because of something that's going on with her, and that's why she's not paying attention to me, then we wouldn't have really any way to make that better. So we, we internalize it and we say, well, it must be because I'm not lovable, or it must be because I'm not smart enough, or it must, we, we kind of hustle and try and do things. Some kids will get really helpful around the house and you know make sure everything's clean and that uh you know everything's put away so that you know the best possible outcome of the parents mm -hmm. and so we're always trying to make things better in whatever ways that our childhood mind can understand that and that really that really contributes to that feeling that there's something wrong with us so if we're trying really hard to be helpful and that doesn't actually fix the addiction problem in one of the parents, then we, we feel even worse about ourselves. Well, I didn't do enough or right. Yeah. There's still something about me that can't fix this. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then often siblings have different experiences in a family too. Uh, and certainly we have different responses, fight, flight, freeze, you know, somebody who um, goes into fight or lashing out or kind of defending themselves through a fight reflex is going to have a very different res response from the parents than someone who just gets really pleasant and nice and codependent. Um, but both feel the anxiety and both are, we're always, we're always trying to do the best we can to protect ourselves. I really see that all the time. Mm -hmm. Well, and two, I think so many of my clients 
they really don't want to blame their parents, particularly with emotional neglect, you know, like, as you described, you know, you, you had everything, you had a nice home, and were well fed. And, but with that lack of emotional connection, I find it hard for the clients to say like, okay, my parents didn't give me this. And that's not like to blame them, but at least to make sense of why they are why they are struggling right now. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, as I matured emotionally, (laughs) which took a while, (laughs) as I kind of grew up, and I was able to understand better, what was happening in my mom's life and in her mom, I could understand kind of where that came from. Mm -hmm. And that helped me to, to just have it give me a different perspective. I didn't have to blame her even, but I but I could stop blaming myself. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't have to take all of that on myself. I could really just acknowledge that, in fact, I was alone. And when things got to a head, their answer was to send me to boarding school, even though I had requested that I could see a therapist. Mm. At that time, it was like, well, no. If you see a therapist, everyone in town's going to know there's something wrong, and so let's send you away instead to a different city. Mm. So I was correct in my assessment. Of, of what was going on there. Mm-hmm. But I'm also a parent. And, you know, I have a son who's uh, 45 now. Mm-hmm. And and I have three grandchildren. And I can also see how, you know, it, it, I wasn't very healed when, when my son was young. And there are things that I look back and I can really see the effect that it had on him. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I've, I've come to terms with it. I don't shame myself for that anymore. And he and I have a wonderful close relationship. And I can see the effect of it. And so I think, I think a, an, an approach where we can have that perspective of, yes, this happened and it had this effect on me. And I don't have to hate someone for that. But I'd also, I also don't have to hate myself. And I don't have to shame myself. These mm. are natural human responses to the situations that we're in. Absolutely. Well, right. And if we're not given the tools to better parent ourselves, you know, well, even parent ourselves, but if our parents aren't parenting us in a way that's healing or connecting, hard mm-hmm. to hard to do it as a parent, but with your children. <laughs> yeah, mm. yeah. Okay. I, I was going to say, I've had some conversations with my own children around that, you know, right. um, just like, yeah, I recognize that I didn't have the tools when you guys were young and, and learning how not to pile on more shame around that (laughs) yeah yeah that's a big that's a big job uh as a parent to have kind of a clear eye around that and to kind of get in in the middle of that shaming response just go you know i i don't deserve that i i can i can be kinder to myself around that the thing about emotional self-regulation is that it happens through co-regulation and ideally we have a connection with a parent or two parents, however it might be, who are emotionally self-regulated themselves. And if we don't have that, then we can't figure that out on our own. So we don't feel safe, we don't feel connected. And that can happen even before birth, high levels of cortisol and adrenaline uh, in utero, and then after a baby is born. I know a lot of children who were born, you know, not that long after another sibling. Mm -hmm. And didn't get a lot of attention you know the parent was exhausted 
And we can certainly see that and we can also see the effect of it too. Yeah. And then if add in any additional struggle or stress, you know, yes, if two kids are born Mm -hmm. close together, or if there's one of the kids, maybe, whether it's learning disabilities or developmental issues, I mean, Mm -hmm. then there's even less attention for the other siblings as well, plus all the stress. Yeah. Yeah, I have one client that I work with whose older sister, not by very much 10 or 11 months, uh, had a heart condition and was in the hospital almost into, you know a lot in the first five years of her life mm. and that had a profound effect on the rest of the family and it wasn't like there was something anybody could have done you know they tried to they tried their best but there's a lot of really hard situations oh yeah and my own situation my oldest son is a little person and when he was born we had no idea until he was born that Well, I've learned a lot about it now, but, you know, it was a genetic mutation, didn't have anything to do with family history. So it was a total surprise. And then our second son was born very shortly after that. And so just, yeah, having to sort of learn and grow and understand. And he had some medical issues young in his young life that it really was, it was stressful in our family. So I do see our middle son, uh, besides being the middle child, uh, probably was a little bit emotionally neglected from time to time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with very good reason. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and the wonderful thing about all of this, too, is that you, you mentioned being parented, even if we weren't parented by our parents. <laughs> I mean, some kids are lucky enough to be parented by somebody else, a family friend or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. But we can kind of reparent ourselves now. So some of the work that I do with people is to is to, you know, we get into an energy and we're tending to an energy and just to see what is that, what, you know, is there an age? Is there a sense of, of what was going on at that time? There might be memories come up. And what what would you like to say to that child of five years old? Or what would you like, you know, what would they like to hear from you? Or mm-hmm. what kind of reassurance could you give them? And we're basically connecting with ourselves at all of these different ages when when we didn't feel connected. And I find that's really healing as well. Oh, yeah, I do a lot of similar work in session, you know, bringing up child parts or, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, working with those wounded parts that need healing from us, the adult now, Mm -hmm. yeah, reparenting ourselves, which is so healing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we often can't really count on anyone else. Like, it's wonderful if we have support, but we could always support ourselves and we could always be kind with ourselves. And if, you know, if we if we notice that we're shaming ourselves, we could notice that and go, oh, wow, look at that. I'm going to let that go. I'm going to just, <laughs> you know, interrupt that train of thought and see see what I could do to kind of reassure myself. Because the thing about fear and anxiety is that it it creates this atmosphere where we need reassurance but often what we get instead of reassurance is some kind of shaming or some kind of being told you're too sensitive or or you should just you know buck up and figure this out or and Mm. that doesn't doesn't help no no (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 all those messages that you know or stories that we learn about ourselves from the other people in our lives it's like you know i often encourage people to like is that your story or is that Uh something that developed about you 
right you know, in the family that you've now taken on as your own mm-hmm. yeah. and even if it was your story it might have been through the brain of a 10 year old right and we could update our files <laughs> <laughs> do a reboot yeah, yeah exactly yeah. so are there tips or resources that you feel would be important for the listeners yes i think it's a process of Dr. Stephen Porges is a researcher who does a lot with the nervous system. And one of the quotes that I use of his a lot is that safety is the treatment. Mm. So we need to find ways to feel safe. And when we do, then we can, then we can heal. And so finding safety in our body is one way to do that. Getting to know ourselves, getting to know the energy in our body and this is where kind of a lot of the yoga meditation shavasana practices come in deep relaxation in the body working with the breath then there's really specific things that people can do like i have on my website so my website's probably the best um place entry point mm-hmm. one of the tabs along the top is called emergency practices oh those are so great i'm going to share those on my website <laughs> oh excellent yeah the thing about anxiety and panic is that it's treatable like and not necessarily with medication although I know some people might need that for a while but there are such simple things to do I started working with a guy about a month ago who was having panic attacks and I taught him how to do box breathing which is just inhale for four hold your breath for four exhale for four hold your breath for four and do that five or six times you can do five four three two one the looking at the senses, look around the room and, and say, I see a lamp, I see a curtains, I see five things, and you go through the senses. And all of those things help to re- regulate our nervous system. So if we're in a state of dysregulation, if we're in a state of shutdown or something like that. And what he found was that that he's able now to have some confidence that even if he starts going into a panic attack, he knows what to do. Mm-hmm. So he he gets up and he, you know, shakes it out or he, you know, there's all of these really, really simple ways to do that. I think it's really helpful to regulate the nervous system on a daily basis, some kind of relaxation. I don't necessarily recommend meditation for people. Um, that much silence can often just give our catastrophic thinking more room to play. Yeah. So I usually recommend guided practices. I actually do an online practice every day at 9 a.m., 8 a.m. Eastern time. So it's 9 a.m. for me here. I'm in Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. But it's at 8 a.m. Eastern for half an hour every day. It's free. It's been going on since December 2015. So it's over three years now. That's so cool. And I know. And it's so much fun. And we just do breathing, relaxation, sometimes inquiry. And it's a lovely group of people that get together and do that. So anyone who would like to is welcome to, to do that. I have some online courses on Udemy. And the links for that are on my web uh, site. I'm on Insight Timer um, and a lot of stuff on YouTube. Nice. And one of, one of the practices on Insight Timer is just this three-minute practice that I learned from my meditation teacher of when you have kind of worry and anxious thoughts, then just bring your attention into your forehead and soften the muscles of your forehead and your eyebrows and really focus on softening those muscles. And then bring up the worry or maybe the worry is already there. And then just see if you can focus on the worry while you're keeping your attention on softening your forehead and eyebrows. 
something like that can really help to interrupt catastrophic thinking. Mm Because, in fact, we can't worry and soften our forehead at the same time. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Spoiler alert on that one. (laughs) So, So there's just such simple practices. And... And we get that confidence, like we reach that tipping point where we actually are welcoming what's going on on our body, the energy, the sensations, because we know we can handle it. And we know that it's just a part of us that needs to be seen and healed. And that's just such a wonderful place to be where we have that confidence in ourselves. Yeah. Well, one last quote, and then I want you to tell us um, your website. So a quote also from your website you say there's always a reason for the energy and sensations in our body. And I think we get so disconnected uh, or are so used to pushing away the feelings and sensations that I just love the reaffirming that, mm. yeah, yeah, it's it's here for a reason. And huh, can yeah. we can we investigate that? Yes. Yeah. And when somebody's working with you or me or someone who's safe, then... You know, having somebody steady there who's emotionally self-regulated, who's not being thrown off kilter by whatever it is that comes up, we can just help people stay regulated and co-regulate with them. So, you know, we remind them to breathe. I can't even count how many people stop breathing. They hold their breath when Mm -hmm. they're working with something like this. Mm -hmm. So it's very helpful to have someone there just to kind of help you stay steady and help you to remember that this isn't something that's happening now. This is a memory of something that happened before. And that now we're bringing our adult selves to it. We're bringing our understanding, our resources, our willingness to be kind with ourselves. And that makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. We're not alone anymore the way we might have been at the time. Yeah. Okay. Well, Lynn, thank you so much. So tell us your website so people can find you. And it will also be included in the show notes. So it's Lynn, L-Y-N-N, Lynn Fraser, stillpoint.com. Perfect. All right. Well, I so enjoyed talking to you today and getting to know you a little bit. And thank you so much for being a guest. Yeah, thank you so much. I did too. I enjoyed talking with you as well. Thanks for having me on. Thanks so much for tuning in again to the Woman Warriors podcast and my conversation with Lynn It just reaffirms for me how important mindfulness and meditation can be in healing trauma and reconnecting with yourself or finding connection within yourself. And that without that connection, true healing is difficult to achieve. And when we do find that true connection with ourselves, we feel more connected to others. All of the resources that Lynn uh, suggested, her daily mindfulness practice, you know, her YouTube channel, I will uh, add to the show notes so you can find them there. There are mindfulness groups for women that I am. If you're local to the Annapolis area, mindfulness groups for women are forming now and will begin in March. So if you would like to bring more mindfulness into your daily life, if you would like to know how to feel more present in yourself, feel more connected to yourself and others, reach out to me through progressioncounseling.com. Shoot me an email, call me up on the phone, leave me a voicemail. I would love to hear from you. I would love to include you in my groups. 
I hope you have a wonderful week. I hope your journey toward healing and connectedness with yourself continues. Ciao for now from This Woman Warrior. Thanks for listening and subscribing to the Woman Warriors podcast. Music was written and performed by Andy Cush. If you'd like more information on this episode, you can find the show notes, the resources shared today, and links to the guests' profiles at womanwarriors.com. Thank you.